What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead. Stocks may be lower today, but our market guests both say the bulls have the upper hand for now. And one of them says that's especially true if rate cuts don't come too soon. He's here to make his case for that. Plus, the U.S. expands strikes in Yemen. We have the latest. Uh, and look at one retail group most exposed to Red Sea disruptions. And Netflix on deck to report the company may have won the streaming wars. But, but what about the ad wars? Ad executive Mark Douglas here with who he sees as best positioned to reign supreme. But we begin with today's markets. And Dom Chu, who's got the numbers. Hey, Dom. Ty, it's been a pretty tight trading session so far today. We've seen either side of the unchanged mark here for the S&P 500, which currently sits at 48.54. Now, we started the day at 48.50. That's where it closed. So up about three points, relatively flat. The highs of the session, to give you some context, we were up roughly eight points down, six points at the low. So again, a fairly tight trading range. The Dow Industrial is down about one-third of 1%, 37,857 the last trade there. The NASDAQ Composite, advancing uh, to the upside here with the leadership, if you will, up only 23 points, two-tenths of 1%, 15,383. One place you want to keep a close eye on is the slew of earnings movers that we have. I know that you guys are going to go into a lot of these stories more in-depth today, but one of the worst performers in the S&P 500 so far has been DR Horton, 3M, on the heels of disappointing outlooks in certain cases for some of those stocks. Meanwhile, Verizon and Procter & Gamble, two of the big gainers there, powering the Dow higher, Verizon, better subscriber growth, and then Procter & Gamble, maybe some organic sales growth there that could be more positive. We're watching some of those headlines for sure. But again, keep an eye on those earnings-related movers. And then one other place to keep an eye on is what's happening with Bitcoin. We're down about another almost 2% today, 39,457. Now, remember, at the highs, we were north of 48,000 in terms of Bitcoin per token now we've lost roughly 19% from those levels here. And this is all in the wake of those spot Bitcoin ETFs coming to market. So there's been a move off the highs. We'll see if that downside momentum continues for Bitcoin. tie right now below 40,000. I'll send things back over to you. All right. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you uh, very much. Dom Chu there. Uh, Wall Street is back at it again. Economists kicking the can down the road, forecasting, at a, forecasting a slowdown that really sort of never seems to materialize. Steve Leisman has their latest predictions in our latest CNBC rapid update. Hi, Steve. Hey, Tyler. Yeah, this has been going on for a while. Economists surveyed in the CNBC rapid update. They've again had to upgrade their outlook for the fourth quarter and the first quarter, but they continue to forecast that growth slump, which never seems to come. The 18 economists we surveyed, they see GDP at 1.9 in the fourth quarter, up 1.2 percentage points from when they had a stab at this back in October, and 1.4 percentage points this quarter, up almost a percentage point from originally. Economists continue to see the slump. You can see it right there. Forecast that slump that never comes beginning in the second quarter, where growth will drop below 1%, according to the forecast. That coming slump has been a feature of the forecast for, i got to say, a couple of years now, where economists see growth slipping below potential or even to recession in coming quarters. Then they have to raise their outlook as the data come in 
better than expected. Of course, the average hides differences. You can see Goldman, they're not in the slump uh, camp anymore. They see trend growth throughout the year. But economists at City, they're looking for what looks like a recession. Two negative quarters in a row right there. Very different before a sharp bounce back in the fourth quarter. Economists also lower their outlook for inflation. Core PCE at 2.7% for the fourth quarter. 0.7% is points lower than previously forecast. And gradually declining over the year towards the Fed's 2% target, which it hits in 2025, according to this forecast. Hard to say why economists keep getting that two-quarter slump thing wrong and Suffice to say, the economy and specifically the consumer, um, but even business and, of course, government spending have proven more resilient than they're being given credit for. Tyler, the GDP number we're looking for comes Thursday morning. Where are you on this, Steve? What do, what do you think that what do you think the economy is going to do this year? I'm, I'm, I'm fairly upbeat. I think it's been a big mistake to. Uh, to forecast a downturn. I think there are some things that will come true this year. I think that a growth slowdown, bad potential, maybe a little bit below potential, one and a half, one percent, makes a lot of sense to me. But the consumer has proven so resilient, and I think that resilience comes from less the uh, amount of money that was given people during the pandemic and more from jobs and decent wages. Uh, with, with those wage increases that we've seen. And I think that's what's been propelling the economy. And that, to me, explains why it lasts, why it doesn't go away. All right, Steve, thanks very much. We're going to follow up on uh, that uh, sure. com conversation with this one. Economists uh, revising forecasts. The market has been hitting new highs on uh, hopes of a soft landing. But is the move too far too fast? Our next guests say they wouldn't be surprised to see a correction. But the momentum does seem to be on the side of the bulls, especially if the Fed doesn't cut rates until later this year. Joining us now in the House, Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Laffer Tangler Investments, and Andrew Slimmon, Senior Portfolio Manager at Morgan Stanley Investment Management. You heard what Steve just said, what he reported about a couple of the, uh, of the brokerage houses, or banks, big banks, uh, Goldman and, and Citi, uh, for the economy. What do you think? I mean, we've expected the economy to slow, and so that's why we've been putting our assets to work in re what we call reliable growers, so technology, uh, some consumer discretionary industrials. I, I don't know that I have to get that right mm -hmm. in order to generate good returns. So we, we have drawn an analogy to the 1990s, Tyler, when I think we were talking back then, <laughs> um, and I was managing money. I wasn't just alive. I was actually managing money. Yeah. And there's so many analogies to what we have today higher than average interest rates, higher than average inflation, uh, an inverted yield curve, uh, soft landing, uh, share buybacks. And I think that's what's going to put a floor under this market. You think share buybacks are a big factor this year? I do. I don't love them, but they're a fact. They're here. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, we do. Andrew, where are you on the recession, no recession spectrum? Well, I, you know, you, uh, the question is how were investors positioned, mm -hmm. right? And that's what I worry about. Last year, People were all expecting a recession. That was the positioning. Defensive stocks were very much in vogue because that's what you own in a recession. It turns out we didn't have a recession. And so the market did very well. But coming into this year, people are less defensively positioned. They expect a soft landing. So that concerns me a little bit more that the risk, if that soft landing is wrong. Everybody moves to one side of the boat. Exactly. You, you, get it. you got it. So a couple of things that you mentioned in your notes. Last year was pretty low in terms of volatility. Mm -hmm. You point out that in subsequent years, the mm -hmm. pattern has been that volatility returns. That's number one. Number two, uh, that people are anticipating Fed rate cuts, but that when the Fed typically cuts, 
usually you don't get a positive reaction in the stock market because I guess investors are thinking, well, maybe the Fed knows something that we don't know. Exactly. Explain. So I think Steve is right, but that doesn't, you know, soft landing, it's going to be okay. But that doesn't change the narrative that when they cut historically, stocks don't do well for the reason you said, which is what do they know we don't know? So I think the knee-jerk reaction might be, oh, my gosh, maybe it is a hard landing. We don't, no one expected it. Maybe a hard landing is coming. I don't think so. But I think that's the type of thing, as you said, more volatility this year. What could cause more volatility is that first but, and, and what you say, and this is why we, in the, in the write-in, lead into this segment, we said that, that the expectation is stocks could do pretty well if an interest rate cut doesn't come until mid-year or later. Right. Yes, because I think if the Fed says we don't need to cut, mm-hmm. economy is good, we're going to take a long time, that puts the next year's earnings into play, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what, if we think about the end of this year, we're going to be priced off earnings estimates for next year. All right, Nancy, let's get to a couple of, your, uh, of the areas that you like and some of the names that you like. I would get, but react to what Andrew said as well there uh, in terms of, of the case on interest rates. I see you like Brookfield Asset Management, Vertex, Prologis, LAM, ServiceNow, Adobe. Why this passel? <laughs> Cornucopia. Of, of un, unrelated. <laughs> well, so I don't think it's any surprise to any of your viewers that we're overweight technology. We have mm-hmm. been. We were ad, advocating for that in the fall of 2022. We were adding. We sold some in the summer, overweighted industrials, and then we bought them back uh, as they got sold off in the year. Um, we're never, we don't turn over our portfolios very much. So these are at the margin kind of trades. But new names for us, Brookfield, Shadow, you know, it's a member of the shadow bank uh, world. That's what's really driving the share buybacks. They no trouble raising money. Great dividend, great CEO. And so we're, we're buying growth at a reasonable price, and we need great management teams to navigate through this. And so take ServiceNow, Bill McDermott, he was delivering 20, 20 to 30% top and bottom line growth in 2022. The stock would pop and then it would sell off. We just kept adding to it, and that's one that we continue to like. They're taking IT spend away from other vendors, and they're, you know, in the sweet spot of generative AI cloud computing. We're going to pause, check in on the two-year note auction with Rick Santilli, and okay. come right back to you guys. Rick, tracking the action at the CME. Rick? Yes, uh, we just auctioned off 66 billion two-year notes. And just for some historical perspective, we've never had more than $60 billion ever auctioned off in this maturity. Although from January through October 2021, due to COVID issues, we did do $60 billion every month for 10 months. This is the first time since, as I said, it's never been bigger. The yield, 4.365. Where was the when issued market? Let's call this match game. It was exactly the same. 4.365. So we don't add or subtract for any pricing issues. And if you looked at the metrics, uh, the bid to cover was the only thing under 10 auction average. Everything else was either a little bit better or spot on. So the grade B as in boy, as you look at the chart, we did get a little bit of buying after the auction ended, but basically we're at the same place right now, 440 yield. And do keep in mind that 61 billion tomorrow in five, same scenario, we've never auctioned off more than 61 billion in fives. The size of these auctions obviously is bigger. It's been a huge part of why we're paying so much extra attention to auctions. And if you want to pay extremely close attention to something important, continue to monitor yield curves as long maturities seem to be more stubborn than short maturities. 
outside of the last several days where two-year notes seem to be the, one of the buoyant issues, uh, especially yesterday. Uh, Tyler and the gang, back you, to you. You draw attention, Rick, to the, to the fact that these numbers of the, in terms of the size of the auctions have never been exceeded before. But is the, they may be exceeded now, given the, the amount of debt we have, or maybe this is just the new normal that we should continue to expect auctions of this size. I think at this point in time, this is the new normal. I would look for $60 billion uh, and slightly over $60 billion in fives to be the new norm, at least for a while, uh, maybe through the rest of this year. We have one auction basically every month in terms of these short maturities, and I certainly don't see us borrowing any less in the foreseeable future. All right, Rick Santelli, thanks very much. Andrew, any, any reaction there to what we just saw in the bond market? Well, I think the fact that the two-year yields are saying high is actually a sign the economy strong. Mm -hmm. uh, the yield curve inverting is not a negative, but when it reinverts because the two-year is plummeting, that's when I'm going to get nervous because that tells me maybe earnings won't come through. Mm -hmm. and so what Nancy said, she likes growth, she likes value. I agree with that in terms of our positioning. What I didn't hear is kind of the more defensive stocks. And yeah. so ultimately, if the economy remains strong, you want to own some. That's how our product, U.S. Core, is positioned, growth and value, less so on the a recession is coming positioning. But maybe later this year it might be. Make yeah, more U.S. Core is uh, the fund you yeah. run up 14% over the past year. Some of the companies you like, Ameriphase Financial, CRH, and United Rentals. Yeah, so, so the CRH and United Rentals are industrial companies mm -hmm. that we, we here will benefit from the Infrastructure Act, right? CRH has another benefit. It's being relocated from Ireland to the U.S., so they could get some multiple expansion. And then Ameriprise, simply because all this money has been in the money market, Tyler. Mm -hmm. And as that money starts to move out to other products, whether it's fixed income, equities, alternatives, there's higher margin in those assets. So I think the wealth management business could be a very lucrative business because so much is, is hidden in money markets. You're right nodding now. there, Nancy. You yeah, well, yeah, I do. And I would just add that we think technology are the new defensive names. The, the valuations are mm. not wacky. Um, if you go back and look at the 90s, Microsoft was trading at 51 times peak earnings. And today, it's trading at 30 times. It's much more robust company. So we've actually, un we're underweight consumer staples, and we've been adding to REITs and healthcare. But in general... I think you still want to be on the side of growth at a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. Both of you think that there is a possibility, uh, and just be ready for the possibility of a correction. Mm -hmm. yeah. I hope so. You hope so? Yeah. You would see that as a point to buy? Yes, absolutely. You you, the yeah, same? well, I mean, it's yeah. the same thing, which is last year, non volatility. It's nope. coming this year. So you tell me what's going to cause that volatility. I'm sure it's coming. And so one of the things that I think is when the Fed actually changes policy. But it could be other things. I think inflation could get stickier. Yep. Right? It's coming yep. down now. Mm -hmm. It's easy because mm -hmm. year-over-year mm -hmm. numbers look good. But when it gets this summer, maybe we're going to start to realize, ooh, inflation's not going back to where it was. That yeah. could be it. I just know this is going to be a tougher year because last year was pretty darn easy. The market went pretty yeah. much straight. I mean, I think the thing a lot of people are talking about is that if people remember high inflation. It, it's, it has a sticky factor yeah. in, your, in your head, number one. Number two, 
prices aren't actually coming down. Right. They're, they're, they're just not growing as fast as they used to. Right. And so people are all, you go to the grocery store, you go lots of places, you're paying a lot more. Yeah. Correct. It's and, cumulative. And, and don't forget also wages. I was on the phone with a CFO of uh, Loom come the other day. He goes, I'm going to raise my price, my wages 5 to 6% and health care costs, you know, yeah. forever. So that's... I think that's stickier. I think food inflation is actually well in the Red Sea. I think yeah. we have to worry about shipping costs and oil that reigniting. So we're worried about that. We're worried about a lot of things, as I know you are. <laughs> well, that's your, that's what you're paid to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's what I tell my clients. Let me worry yeah. for you. But I, I think you have to also be anticipating where this market is is moving, and I don't think you can discount. Um, the value of generative AI and cloud computing still mm-hmm. in early sta- stages. This earnings will be important to see how much is being monetized in within the technology companies and the old economy companies that are using and employing uh, the tools that couple, drive generative A couple AI. of stocks, Nancy, that you own are in the news, Johnson & Johnson today mm-hmm. with a l- large settlement uh, with the talcum powder case and also Tesla tomorrow with earnings. Why don't we talk Tesla first and w- wind our way back to J&J? Yeah, I think, I mean, Tesla is is a name that is really a technology company in, as opposed to an auto company. So if you think about all the data they're they're grabbing, and, and even Google with Waymo, I mean, I live in Arizona, and I see one every day, and I drive a third of a mile to work. Mm-hmm. They're all over the valley. So if you're, as you're accumulating data, we think that's super important. I think what we've learned is that people want to own Teslas, not EVs necessarily. Mm. And so while we expect that, um, you know, the margins are really important and they've been coming down as he sliced prices, what we're going to be looking for is guidance on on the top line as we move forward from here. And uh that that's going to be I, I expect it to be volatile. We have room, though, because we picked it off last January really early. So mm. it can come back and we'd be OK. There it is at 200 about a year ago. I'm not sure. We had one year chart on Tesla. Could we look at I think it? it was, We've I got think it? we picked it off in like 100, 100 104 yeah. maybe. Yeah. And J&J. I mean, what a disappointment that company's been. But what a robust pipeline. Uh, you know, they're really at one point they were the largest uh, biotech company with all this other stuff around it. Now they've spun out Kenview. Uh, they, they're going to get the settlement done. And I think then we'll turn our attention to how does this thing grow as a pharmaceutical and biotech company. And then I think you want to own it from here. But it's been a slog. Andrew, final words of wisdom for this year, for 2024. We have never had a down market when a president's run for re-election since 1940. <laughs> Never a down market when a president has been running for re-election. Since 1940, which was the start of World War II. Well, you investors, go. you better hope Biden <laughs> doesn't pull out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Sliman, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Great. Nancy, good Thank to see you. you. Coming up, uh, Netflix earnings uh, out after the bell, and Wall Street is looking for some answers on the streamer's advertising plans. We've got the numbers and the narratives to know next. Plus, American and British forces carrying out new airstrikes in Yemen in response to Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. We are just talking about it. We're going to talk more about it. The turmoil there causing shipping rates to skyrocket. We will look at those numbers and the fallout for especially retailers. The exchange is back after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Netflix shares slightly higher ahead of fourth quarter results after the bell. Julia Borson has a look at the numbers and narratives to know ahead of that report. Julia. Well, Tyler, Netflix shares may be pretty much flat today, but they have been on a tear since the company's last earnings. And now there are high expectations for another quarter of accelerating growth. The company is expected to add nearly 9 million subscribers, pretty much in line with last quarter's massive subscriber beat, while the company itself projects that its revenue growth will accelerate to 11 now, analysts expect earnings per share to leap from 12 cents in the year-ago period to $2.22 this quarter. This growth would reflect ongoing success with Netflix's crackdown on password sharing, as well as the upside from advertising. After Netflix said earlier this month that 23 million monthly viewers had chosen its ad-supported option. This comes as just this morning, Netflix announced its biggest move yet into live events with a $5 billion 10-year deal with TKO to stream WWE's Raw starting next year. This is a move that builds on Netflix's success with sports stocks such as Drive to Survive for F1. So we're sure to hear more tonight about Netflix's investment plans both in sports and also in live. Tyler? All right, Julia. Julia Borston, thank you very much. Uh, stick around. Our next guest says if Netflix deal with Formula One is any indication, the ad space around the WWE deal will be as sold out as the arenas for the events. For more, let's bring in Mark Douglas, CEO of Connected TV ad agency Mountain. Mark, welcome. Good to have you back with us. Uh, I see in my notes here, this deal, the Netflix deal, will allow Netflix to tap into WWE's intellectual property. I have, I'm having problems with the word intellectual and WWE in the same sentence. But this is a good deal for Netflix. Well, I, yeah, I think it's a fantastic deal for Netflix. I, I, I assume they mean by that that the, you know, the open secret is that WWE is very scripted. But I think it's a fantastic deal. The demand um, for sports entertainment has been huge. Netflix, you, you know, you mentioned some of my comments just a minute ago. I think, you know, what Netflix did for Formula One in terms of increasing awareness of the sport, interest in the sport, and quite frankly, the value of the sport, I think the exact same thing is going to happen for WWE. And and on top of that, advertisers are going to love it. They, they're always looking for more sports content. I think it's like it's it's a perfect fit. It's a fantastic deal for both companies. You know, Julia, in the old world, uh, we used to look at the advertising budgets in presidential election years and Olympic years and say, these are going to be better years for ad spending because those properties are out there. There's going to be more. Is that does that still hold true? Well, I think there is certainly going to be a surge in ad spending around the Olympics. That's always true. And then this presidential election is going to be interesting because we might see a lot less money spent on the primary races, um, given that that seems to be shaking out so much earlier um, in this Republican uh, race. So I think uh, we could see perhaps not as robust in the primaries, but who knows what's going to come in terms of the presidential election. There's always a jump in ad spending around, um, around these big elections. But what I would point out here that's so 
interesting, Tyler, is when it comes to Netflix, it has the opportunity to not only take TV ad market share, but also because of the targeting and the ability to buy programmatically, as we've seen on all these streaming platforms, all of these streamers are also competing for ads from the, the major platforms such as Meta and Google. So I'm curious what Mark thinks about this, but the, but the question really here is how Netflix shakes up this space, maybe how it and Amazon, which is also offering ad-supported streaming, go after both of those key ad categories. So Mark, why don't you pick up on that? And, and I point out that, that one of the things you say is that the death of broadcast ads is underway. I mean, you've got the streamers who are playing in this area, whether it's Amazon or Apple or Netflix. You've got the, uh, the internet platforms, uh, like Meta and Google and YouTube playing here. So inevitably, the money has to come from one, way, one place and migrate to another, right? In, for the, in terms of the TV dollars it does, in terms of, let, let's call that traditional versus digital advertising. Right. Traditional broadcast, it's, you know, it's upfronts and things like that. Increasingly, you're seeing digital advertisers, e-commerce companies and others move over the TV. They're doing that via Amazon. They're doing it via Mountain, NBC. And they are bringing new dollars into the market. And Amazon in particular has gotten really good very, very quickly at getting the, those dollars. And Netflix is a bit behind there. They built the ad business in much more of a traditional model. But I think they'll wake up to the opportunity and start to catch up. So Netflix will have a good year. I think Amazon will actually have a great year in terms of the advertising. So it's exciting time. There's a lot of change. Is, uh, Mark, is sports really um, the tentpole for these streaming companies, or can it be? I mean, we saw Peacock do very well with a streaming game. I guess it was the, the, uh, the freezing game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Amazon seems to be doing well in its football coverage and so forth. And here the WWE comes in. Is that where some of these platforms are going to build their advertising business? Yeah, I think in terms of when advertisers want specific shows, there, there's just tremendous demand for sports. It's the NFL. It's I think, you know, WWE will fit into that category. Um, Olympics, stuff like that. And so it's just treated as a separate category where all size advertisers, the biggest down to the smallest, are interested in being against sports entertainment. It's also non-controversial. Um, you know, so so it, it has a lot of appeal. It's not the only thing these companies want, but it's what you can really hold the line on pricing on and really always know that there's more demand than there is supply. And so that's why you see Amazon, Netflix and others really, you know, investing in sports as a way to grow their their ad businesses. Julia, I see you. I see you nodding there. And I guess the. I guess you could say Netflix is, is increasingly going into sports with their documentaries, with this deal with WWE as well. And they've been adding subscribers, uh, partly because they've been taking people off of password sharing and those folks are migrating in and having their own accounts. Yes, but Tyler, you're absolutely right about sports. And, and what Mark just mentioned about sports is 100% true. And we will see it continue to be true when the NBA rights um, are negotiated mm. in the coming months. Because what we are seeing right now is that if you want to sell ads, you want to have must-see TV, you want to have content that people must be watching in real time. Um, and that's what's so valuable about the sports content. The NFL ratings have been through the roof. And I think it really points to the fact that this is the most, you know, sports are the most valuable content on television. And now the 
streamers want to have a piece of that as well. So I would be surprised if the NBA does not have some component of its rights deal go to a streamer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, this is good for the leagues. I mean, it is good for the for the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, presumably all of them. Mark, it's always good to see you, Julia. Great to see you as well. Thanks. All right, still ahead. Netflix, not the only company with the results on deck. Coming up, we've got the action, the story, the trade on Texas Instruments, Kimberly Clark and AT&T when they report. But first, 8% mortgage rates cut into home builder margins last quarter. But one area where prices plunged last year could be the key to growth in 2024. We'll tell you what it is ahead. The exchange is back after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. The markets right now are uh, a little bit lower on the Dow, down 146 points. S&P basically flat, uh, and you'd say pretty much the same for the Nasdaq Composite, up 17 points, about one-tenth of one percent. Ten-year note yield at 4.149. NVIDIA poised for a pullback, apparently, according to Wolf Research. The chipmaker is up 20 percent to start the year after climbing 240 percent in 2023. That's a lifetime of returns for me. Uh, but the firm says after crossing $600 a share, it is now, quote, deeply overbought uh, and due for a consolidation. For the full story and the other AI name Wolf is warning about, you should head over, not right now, wait a little bit. Stay here with us for a while. Head over to CNBC.com slash pro. Do that later in the afternoon. Now to Bertha Coons for a CNBC News update. Tyler, disgraced former New York Congressman George Santos appeared in federal court today for a status conference ahead of trial. He has pleaded not guilty to 23 charges, including stealing identities of donors and running up thousands of dollars in fraudulent credit card charges in their names. The trial is expected in September. Tokyo Electric Power Company unveiled small drones to use to get a better footage inside of the Fukushima nuclear power plant, which was damaged from an earthquake and tsunami 13 years ago. At a demonstration at a mock-up facility today, TEPCO showcased mini drones and robots designed to gather information on the hundreds of tons of melted fuel rods inside the reactors. And NASA released a new image today from the James Webb Telescope of a Milky Way satellite galaxy. Astronomers have a special interest in these areas because of their chemical composition, similar to when the universe was just a few billion years old and star formation was at its highest. You know, Tyler, it's amazing when you look at these images, how they look at some of the great masters' images. They of do. I was just saying they're like a, beings, right? They're, they're like a piece of art. I mean, they really are just yeah. beautiful. Just beautiful. Bertha, thank you. Coming up, the Red Sea attacks are having some major ripple effects in retail. We'll tell you which companies have the most European exposure. Uh, and are most vulnerable here. And speaking of retail, here are three names that hit all-time highs today before turning a little bit lower. AutoZone, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Ross Stores. All down a little bit, but highs are. Be right back. 
Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. The U.S. and the U.K. carrying out a second round of joint military strikes against Houthi, against Houthi targets in Yemen overnight. The U.S. has struck several Houthi targets on its own after the group has attacked more than 30 commercial ships in the Red Sea, forcing shippers to find alternate routes. And the street has taken notice uh, with several firms now warning about the impact of slower transit times and higher costs on retailers specifically. Joining us now to discuss this all is Alan Baer, CEO of OLUSA, a logistics supplier that helps importers and exporters move goods around the world, and Stacey Whitlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors. Welcome to both of you. Alan, let me start with you. What, what percentage of the world's cargo traffic has been affected or rerouted because of this uh, disruption in the Red Sea? And what has happened to the cost either per container or of shipping costs more generally uh, in light of this disruption? So uh, overall, there's about 20% of the world trade that moves through the Suez Canal. And uh, as a result of the, uh, the military action or, or, or the attack on the vessels, you're seeing prices into the US Gulf, East Coast and West Coast uh, up anywhere between 200 and 300% from where they were back in October and November. These are shipping costs alone, up 200 to 300%. This reminds us of what was going on during the pandemic, right? Correct, but here um, at the height of the pandemic, when you go back to the peak of those rates, we're still, while it's still uh, high, we're at about 20% of the peak that we reached in uh, 2021 and 2022. Is most of the, uh, of the traffic that is being disrupted, is it, from is it Asia inbound through the Red Sea and Suez Canal into Europe or what? Is that most of it? Yes, the, the bulk of trade, uh, Europe relies the most heavily uh, on the Suez Canal for both their import and export markets. Whereas the US with, with the three coasts and the Panama Canal, we are a less uh, beholden in a sense to the functioning of the Suez with possibly the exception of some of the Red Sea countries and then uh, India, for example, is taking a major hit. There are now uh, a shortage of containers in India mm -hmm. to service some of their exports uh, back to Europe and the U.S. Uh, but Asia, for example, can still ship via the Cape of Good Hope, even though uh, seven yeah. to 10 days, 15 days longer, and the West Coast. So, so Stacy, let's turn to some of the retail companies, maybe U.S.-owned, maybe European-owned, that are being affected because of this. Name some names. And I guess these would be goods manufactured in Asia that are coming into the European market or moving uh, elsewhere uh, for sale. Give us some names that are being affected here. Sure, Tyler. And of course, as you know, when shipping goes off, it's like the nervous system of retail shuts down. And we saw that during COVID, we're starting to see prices come up again. We're starting to see the return of air shipping, which is more expensive, just at the time that we were cycling all these costs post-COVID. But some of the names that have the biggest exposure in Europe, we're talking about PVH, you know, US-owned companies. We're talking about Ralph Lauren. We're talking about Nike. We're talking about Foot Locker, 20 plus percent over in Europe. Of course, H&M has a huge exposure, 60 percent. Um, Hugo Boss, 60%. So it's, you know, most of the U.S. retailers have a, a significant exposure over there. There are some smaller ones like Lululemon that's got high single digits or an outfitter. So nobody's going to go untouched with this. But at least the good news is we have our factories open, unlike COVID. 
And of course, we aren't in this insane demand boom for for goods where all of a sudden there's nothing on shelves. Right. Let's let's talk a little bit about how much these companies that have been affected are going to pass on these rising prices or higher prices to consumers and whether consumers uh, are going to accept it, number one, or whether the whether the retail companies are just going to have to eat these costs as a temporary expedient to keep business coming in. So, Tyler, what was so fascinating during COVID is that prices, even for retail brands like a Ralph Lauren or a Coach or, of course, they went up 20 plus percent, some 30 percent. Luxury was up 30 percent plus pricing and consumers ate it because they wanted the product. But now consumers are saying to brands, including Levi's, including Coors, that mm -hmm. enough already. We're not willing to pay since prices are up so much. Um, but again, you know, at least now the, the cost of shipping won't be as much as COVID. But I think retailers are going to have to eat it a little bit more this time than, yeah. than certainly during COVID because the demand isn't there in the way that it was a few years ago. Interesting. I see Alan nodding to that. Maybe you can pick up on that, Alan. And, and I would observe one other thing. Not only does, obviously, if you have to reroute vessels uh, from Asia into Europe around uh, the Cape of Good Hope in, in South Africa, and that adds to cost, this whole system is finally calibrated, and it must muck up badly uh, the return routes and where ships are in in the world. And you don't have the normal sort of you got you don't have you may not have ships in the right places. You know what I'm saying here, right, Al? Am I right or crazy? Yeah, no, ab absolutely, absolutely, and and that's a key right now. And for most uh, shippers, importers, exporters. They're looking for the carriers to set up the pattern, um, even though it could be longer and a little more expensive, in order to maximize and optimize your supply chain and your cost effectiveness. You want the carriers to set the route and then say, okay, these, these vessel strings are going to go by the Panama. These are going to go around the Cape of Good Hope. Here's our service pattern. Here's your delivery time. Here's the added cost. And then you can make the calculation. Um, the, the nodding was, it, it all depends also what you ship. Um, the importer of large bulky furniture, for example, is going to pay more uh, or will pay more dearly, dearly per sofa, for example, than someone who ships thousands of items in a container. And uh, But I would agree initially right now, I don't think we're going to see this pass through all the way down uh, the supply chain to the end consumer. Uh, unlike we saw with COVID, again, we're at maybe 20% of that peak. Uh, and there, there will be a more normalization of services as we move past Chinese New Year. All right. Uh, both of you, thank you very much. Alan Baer, Stacey Woodlitz, thanks so much for thank being with us and making us a little bit smarter. Yeah. Alan Baer, Stacey Woodlitz, coming up. Lumber prices back on the rise, climbing more than 16% over the past three months after taking a breather. For most of 2023, what's got those prices climbing again and the home builders that are already feeling the pinch? That's next on The Exchange. All right. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Shares of the home builder, Dr. Horton. I always want to call him Dr. Horton, but it's not. It's Dr. falling more than 9% just a day after hitting an all-time high. Earnings miss there. Diana Olick now uh, digging in to those numbers. Hi, Di. 
Hey, Ty. Yeah, and D.R. Horton earnings were kind of a mixed bag. New orders increased 35% year over year, but that was actually slightly lower than expected. And prices were lower, and the builders are also buying down mortgage rates, and all of that squeezed margins. So the nation's largest builder also reported that material costs did fall somewhat. And in fact, material price growth for residential construction fell from a 15% gain in 2022 to just a 1.3% gain in 2023. And that's according to the government's producer price index just out. Now, the PPI for softwood lumber, seasonally adjusted, dropped 2.3% in December. That's the third consecutive decrease in the fourth over the past five months. But the chief economist at the National Association of Home Builders said he expects lumber prices to go up this year as home construction increases amid high demand. And that's why you're seeing those futures prices going up, which Tyler teased into this. Now, while lumber prices fell 31% last year compared with the year before, they're still 23% above 2019 or pre-pandemic levels. Now, in other materials, gypsum prices and concrete prices have been falling for several months. Steel mill products dropped 16% in 2023, but that was after historic gains in previous years. Still, steel is 65% more expensive than it was, again, right before the pandemic hit. So while prices are falling slightly for the builders, you continue to hear them say that those prices are a headwind. And that's because the prices are still sitting at such high levels. Tyler? How much of the rise in prices or prices for new homes is attributable to the rise in input costs or materials costs? And how much is attributable simply to market dynamics? Well, new home prices, though, are actually coming down. And we're seeing that in the new home sales and in what D.R. Horton just reported is that the median price of a newly built home is coming down because the builders have to lower prices in order to get buyers in the door because of these higher mortgage rates. But how much what you're asking of those higher prices, they're definitely factored in. And that's what's really hitting those margins on the builders and hitting their bottom line is that they have these increased prices from the last couple of years that are sitting at these higher levels, coming off of them a little bit, but still high and they're buying down the mortgage rates to get buyers in. The question is, going forward, when we see the next quarter, when mortgage rates are more in the 6% range than the 8% range, how will that help the builders and their pricing, and will home prices start to go up again? Yeah, we'll find out as spring heats up. Thank you, Diana. All right, coming up, Texas Instruments hasn't missed on earnings once, not once, in the last five years. Bank of America, bearish on Kimberly Clark ahead of its report, and can AT&T follow in Verizon's stronger than expected footsteps before the bell tomorrow. We'll get uh, the trade on all three in the earnings exchange. That is that. Welcome back, everybody. Time for earnings exchange. We're going to talk semi-staples cell phones today, looking ahead to results from Texas Instruments, Kimberly Clark, and AT&T. Joining us now with the trades, Delano Sapporo, New Street Advisors founder and a CNBC contributor. Delano, welcome. Good to have you with us. First up is TI, Texas Instruments. After the bell today, huge AI surge run up last year. Some investors bracing for a bit of a pullback, but Stiefel notes the company's diversified exposure to autos and industrials, along with TXN's growing AI share. Uh, you like this one ahead of earnings, uh, Delano? Yeah, yeah, Tyler, I do. And you mentioned in the last segment, um, they haven't missed on earnings in, in a while. And I think, you know, also mentioned by the Steeple's note was the auto- automated demand, which has held up relatively well. Um, you know, one thing I was looking at, the diverse revenue streams for them is also really important to look at here. Also, diverse end customer base is also important to look at. Um, so the story lines up well. The long-term secular growth story also lines up well. If you look at it from a free cash flow basis, they've done really strong, and that's also growing. And of course, they're repaying 
paying shareholders. If you look at the dividend that continues to grow over the last couple of decades, those are some of the reasons why I'd hold here and, and potentially buy if there is a dip after earnings. But it, it's one that you want to keep keeping the stable. All right, let's uh, move on now to uh, one that kind of couldn't be as different from Kimberly Clark as you get. Uh, excuse me, uh, from Texas Instruments you could get. It's Kimberly Clark, the paper product purveyor, down 7% on the year. Piper Sandler, however, bullish on brands like uh, Scott and Kleenex, but watching for consumer trade down and macro weakness across the company's global market. Are you a buyer here of Kimberly? Yep, yep, I am a buyer, and I think there's a couple of reasons why. You mentioned some of the er risk areas, right? Right for Kimberly Clark is their higher input costs, um, which is also you know compressed margins, which has been in focus for for the company for a bit. And management has made a little bit of a headway, um, you know, on margins. But if you look at it from a valuation perspective, I like Kimberly Clark because they're trading at a favorable valuation right now. Uh, pretty much, they're trading a discount to their 10-year um, forward P, and also trading a discount relative to their peers. So, so those are some of the reasons why I like the company. Um, if you look at also on their side, they have a diverse, you know, products, product lines that are actually going to, I think, hold up well if a consumer weakens, because these are some obviously staples that consumers need. And so even if we see a little bit of a weakening consumer, I think they'll relatively fare well uh, on the revenue side and yeah. won't have to push too much into promotion um, to, to compress margins. I can't there. think of a company that is more sort of a classic consumer staple than this, because you're going to keep buying paper towels, folks, and, uh, and Kleenex if you need them. Uh, let's move on now to AT&T. Shares are down 10% in a year. They're up 2% today after Verizon smashed expectations for phone ads. AT&T trying to mount its own turnaround, and boy, they're advertising there to try and get there, expanding a higher margin fiber network, hoping to compete with T-Mobile's unlimited wireless plan. You're not so optimistic on AT&T, Delano. Yeah, you just mentioned, you know, all the advertising dollars that's being poured into to to this area because as you as you look at it, it's a, such a competitive environment. Um, it's hard to get folks to switch, and it's hard to gain subscribers in organic methods. So you have to look at you know acquisitions in different areas, which are obviously those deals are heavily scrutinized. So this is an area where you know, especially if you're looking for growth, this is you know typically look as a safe haven and a stable company because obviously they're strong dividend and different things of that nature. But if you're looking for more of a price appreciation growth, it might be an area where you kind of want to be hold and pause here just because of the fact that they it's been a struggle for that in that area. So the risk environment for them, it's really not organic growth a lot of times. It's going to be inorganic growth. They divested from some of the areas that they were looking at to become more of a pure play telecom company again. Right. Um, but I think it's one that I'm looking at, you know, from a distance at this point. Got to leave it there. Delano Sapporo, New Street Advisors. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. And that does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.